With cybersecurity becoming more complex and the threats even more dangerous, knowing what to do to protect yourself can seem like an impossible task. That is until now. Welcome to the Cyberbytes Podcast, where we help you filter through the noise one bite at a time. This is the new and improved Cyberbytes Podcast. My name is Nick Sturgeon, your host, and with me, even though has not been on this show as since it's been rebranded but definitely a friend of the show on the previous podcast a number of times Lindsay marie of town hall and doing all sorts of cool stuff outside of that gig Lindsay, welcome on the new format you've had actually a huge influence on on this show already well that's exciting to hear and i'm glad to be back with you it is good i know we've You've had some technical issues this week. I've had some technical issues today. It seems like the NSA just doesn't want to have us in a conversation again. <laughs> I mean, they know what I'm going to say. They know what you're going to say, and they don't want it out there, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, It's really bad for their brand for us to be talking about them. Yes, it is very bad for their brand, but it's good for our images, our brand, and <laughs> You know, it's and a love hate. Liberties. <laughs> you know, the Constitution. I mean, that little thing. Not a big deal, right? <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, especially with everything that's going on with this pandemic, air quotes. I mean, we've just seen a, an, a major erosion of our liberties through all of these executive orders, these guidelines or guidances. You know, it's never the law. It's, you know, this is our recommendation um, coming from the federal level. But when it hits us here in the States, it's these far reaching executive orders that just, I mean, my blood pressure has been through the roof every time I've seen Governor Holcomb or and even Mayor Joe extend or even the initial executive orders what are you i know we're kind of just go right into it but man <laughs> i mean it's it's pretty bad and there are, you know i've been watching a lot what's happening in michigan and texas and it's just crazy um sort of how these governors think that they can come in and make this broad sweeping executive order that affects everybody across that state whenever like in texas some cities are completely different than others you have rural texas and you have um the major cities and so even if there wasn't a pandemic what works in one city and area it's not going to work in another um it's just so ridiculous it's if there are going to be you know executive orders made or regulations or things like that, they're going to come up. It needs to come from the most local level. If they're really going to do that, it makes more sense to do it from that level because you know what's going on. You know what, how many cases you're dealing with, what your city's capacity is for dealing with this, You know how many beds you have on hand. If you're going to do it, you might as well start there instead of t- starting from the top and just making it you know, broad sweeping across the entire board. But eventually people are going to get sick and tired of being told what they can and can't do. And they're going to get sick and tired of, you know, the stress of I can't pay my bills. I need to work. I need to pay for the food. I need to pay for my children's, you know, medicine. And they're eventually going to push back and it's going to push is going to come to shove. And these governors are going to have a rude awakening if they don't watch it. I mean, people are not going to sit at home for much longer, I don't think. No, and I'm I'm really surprised that it's lasted this long with the financial 
instability of most Americans. Been a longtime listener of Jason Stapleton, and you know he talks about wealth and debt, just kind of the economic part, the the libertarian bent, and even knowing personally how things work because I was a state employee for a while, not getting paid. You know, great. That's why I went to the private sector to actually make money. Um, but the the fact that most people can't really survive on their own without you know these bailouts or you know subsidies from the the government, these you know the Corona Virus Relief Cares Act bullcrap. That I'm again, I'm really surprised that people aren't just already starving and having reactions like I gotta get back to work or seeing more of like the the barbers I think in in Michigan and there's some been some different news stories out there about business owners being fined or arrested um or even worse the SWAT team sent in I mean that happened like there's pictures it almost looks like a modern day Waco um but no this happened in 2020 because someone's trying to open their business it's crazy what they're doing. You know, in Texas, we saw Shelly Luther, who opened her salon, thrown in jail. And the irony of this is this judge is sitting there looking at her and saying, you know, basically, you violated this. This is for community, the safety of the community and the health, you know, the health of the people. So I'm going to send you to Dallas County Jail. He doesn't say this, but this is the truth, where Dallas County Jail has the highest amount of COVID cases in the entire state of Texas. So he's going to take her out of the community, put her in jail for seven days where she's likely going to come into contact with COVID and then release her back out in the community all in the name of community safety. That is so bonkers to me it's such there's no sense behind that whatsoever and even if you know if he thought that she really was a risk and that she may have contracted or contacted contracted she would have actually come into contact with covid while cutting hair then he's sending a potentially a sick person behind bars where she's going to be around inmates she's gonna be around contractors corrections officers who are in and out of the jail all day long, and then they're going to spread it around. It's just, it makes no sense other than you just want to flex your authoritarian arm and you want to send a message to everyone that, you know what, you obey the law or there's going to be consequences. It, but it's it's funny, a lot of it, of the messaging early on, oh, nobody's going to go to jail, that, you know, this is, we're doing this for, you know, public health and, and safety. Nobody's going to go to jail. And within weeks uh, of people getting tired of being at home and cramped up, which, by the way, is not good for your mental health, your physical health, even your immunology. You need to be around other people and keeping your immune systems functioning. You can't do that when you're in a bubble. That's why we send kids to preschool or daycare is so they can get their immune systems up. And all and I understand I work in healthcare. I see the behind the scenes that it has. And those who contract it and get really sick, man, I feel bad for their families. But I feel bad for the families of the people who can't feed their families or the businesses, longtime family businesses being shut down. I feel just as bad for those people. We deal with death every day. And I'm not going to, you know, there's all these people that, you know, will want to counter argue, well, it's worse than flu or we're not stopping people from driving. We take risk. And the thing is people, businesses were voluntarily doing things on their own a week and a half 
minimum before the government stepped in and decided to come down with the heavy hand, which is just infuriating. Well, that, yeah, there's a lot of studies and data out now saying that they've looked back on everything and people did stop going to restaurants, stop traveling, you know, stop doing these things one to two to three weeks ahead of time, depending on what area you're in. And so instead of letting, you know, the voluntary compliance to sort of happen, they just went in and started to, you know, ram these regulations and these orders and laws down our throats. The other thing too is a lot of people keep saying, well, the younger population's not obeying these orders. We're, we're going to have to keep being locked down for longer and longer because people aren't obeying them or listening. And the thing I think from day one, if we would have been told the truth about what was going on, instead of being told it'll just blow over, it'll be gone in May. Oh, masks don't work. Um, it's just like the flu. Like you can't get it by being on a plane. If, if we've been told the truth from day one, I think more people would have voluntarily decided, hey, I'm going to sit home for a little bit, or I'm going to be more cautious about where I go, and is it really necessary? Um, because the thing is, we've been lied to over and over, and eventually people are getting sick and tired of being lied to. They don't know what the truth is anymore, and so they're just saying, screw it. I'm just going to go back to my normal life because I don't even know what's right and wrong at this point. Well, and the goalposts keep moving. Yeah. Uh, it's like every two weeks, it's a new goalpost. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, no, it's exactly what Dave Portnoy of Barstool Sports said in that rant. And he, it was great. It was originally we were going to do this to flatten the curve. Well, we've done that. So instead of letting us go free or, you know, lighten the restrictions or whatever, now you're saying in many areas of the country that you can't resume your life until there's a cure. Are you kidding me? A cure? There's no guarantee we're ever going to have a cure. Like, how long did it take? Do we even have technically a cure for AIDS? We have things. No. Nope. We've been trying for years for that. We had things that can sustain your life and the quality of life, but that took, what, 20 years or something to even get there, maybe 15. But this is ridiculous. If we're waiting for a cure, we're all going to die from other things before that. I mean, yep. you look at the deaths of despair right now from people who are committing suicide, overdosing purposely because... Either they have money issues and they're stressed and they're at their breaking point, or maybe it's that the self-isolation is getting to them. These things are going to start upticking. And it's going to be no different than when you look at areas that had automa or automotive plants at some point. And when they closed down, if you look at the suicide rate around there, when people lost their jobs and their means to provide for their families, the amount of overdose, the amount of drug use, and the amount of suicide skyrockets. That's what's going to happen everywhere if things don't change. Yep. A and the thing is... There is no real good data sets yet. They're starting to come out. I know Fairbanks um, Public Health or the School of Public Health here in uh, India at IUPUI did a, a random sampling of about 4,000. Uh, Rob was talking on about, about it on his show today. And just some of those quick numbers, I mean, it's over 99% likelihood if you contract it, you're going to survive. I mean, it's like 99.996% or something really ridiculous. Now, if you have underlying health issues, that's a whole other thing. But if you're in those categories, and I've talked to my wife about this on our many walks over the last couple months, it's like, if you're in one of those high risk factors, then take these precautions. You won't see me out with a mask. You and I know we're going to talk a little bit about some of the, the the donations that you've done during this time, and that's great to the health workers. I know they're. I I think that's wonderful that people are coming together and helping out healthcare professionals and 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 all of those people on the front lines that are dealing with a whole bunch of people and illnesses. But for me, you know, if everybody else is wearing a mask, 
why do I need to? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, no, it's kind of my. Think, uh, I think it's it's up to everybody's choice what they want to yeah. do as far as that goes, and how many stores they want to go to, or if they really just want to stay home twenty four seven at this point. But I do have trouble with people who are self isolating, or they say they are one hundred percent. And they're getting mad that people are going out to stores or going to bars or whatever they're doing. And my issue with that is, okay, if you're self-isolating and doing what you think people should be doing and not going anywhere and not doing those things, why should it matter to you that somebody else went to a bar last night? Mm -hmm. If you want to wear a mask because you think that helps you or protects you, why should you get mad that other people aren't? Because you're wearing the mask because you want to protect yourself. It's just sort of it, the logic doesn't always make sense there. That if you're following those things, it shouldn't matter what everybody else is doing. Yeah, and, and it's it's completely voluntary. If yep. you if you feel like it's a risk to yourself, then do all of those things. Stay home. Wear a mask. I you know even though I think there's been some initial studies where people who wear masks and gloves are completely doing it. 100% wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I mean, that's with everything in society. Yeah. When people wash their hands, most people wash their hands wrong. They're not doing it for long enough. They're not washing under their fingernails. They're not washing how you would scrub in for surgery, like every part of your hand. I mean, everyone's going to have some flaws in what they're doing. But at the end of the day, the thing is, you know, if you don't think that bars and restaurants should be open, don't go to them. No one's forcing you to get out of your house and go to these places. Mm-hmm. You know, th- at the end of the day, Stay home. If you think people should wear a mask, you wear a mask. Yep. Uh, it's it's as simple as that. It's the same thing as any other choice. If there are bars I don't like any time of the year, or I think are dirty, I just don't go to them. If there's music I don't like, I just don't listen to it. So I don't see why people have to try and get everything closed down for everyone if they personally just don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you don't need government to force all these things on. And again, like I said earlier, businesses, people were already making those decisions for themselves. And as we're quote unquote reopening the economy, people will still make those same decisions on the whole. Granted, are you going to have a couple of jackasses go out there and do stupid shit? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, that tie pod generation. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, you're yeah, always. Yeah, but I think, and I, that is obviously going to happen, but I think the key is that whenever there is going to be punishment or, you know, justice or whatever you want to call it, that it's not senseless and it's smart. So you don't put them in jail because that's actually going to make things worse. That's going to cause COVID to spread more. Because in jail, you can't social distance, you can't use hand sanitizer, can't have masks, and most of the time you can't even wash your hands or change your clothes. Mm-hmm. So. If in theory they really felt deep down that a jail sentence of a week was really warranted, what they would do if they were smart, which I disagree with the jail sentence at all for this, but you would schedule it for the, you know, after this is over where there are no COVID cases in jail so that you are not making this a community health issue yep. and p- putting people's lives on the line and in danger. You would give it a fine or, or another, you know, jail should not be the first go-to for every ill in society that we do not like. That's never what it's been for. And that's what it's become as, you know, the years have gone on. It's just jail, jail, jail. There are other ways to handle things, but unfortunately, that's not how our legislators like to look at it. No. And, you know, the governor will point to, you know, the Title 10. I can't remember if it's like 10-6 or something or 10-14, whatever the, the code is that gives... Uh, the state emergency powers to him. The infuriating thing is, well, you know, and I, cause I, I took a Facebook post that I did 
to some friends and family just to, to blow off steam the, the night that the first executive order went into effect. And you want to talk about just all over the place with the, the responses, but it did generate quite a bit of, of commentary back and forth, which is always fun just to sit back and watch. Um, kind of let the light the match. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, the violation of that in Indiana of those executive orders is a class B misdemeanor. I mean, you can do jail time. Now, as we've seen, you think, well, well, nobody's going to do jail time over a class B misdemeanor. Well, look what happened in Texas. And, and just even since then, since as Governor Holcomb, and I've watched a number of the press conferences, you know, Monday through Friday. God bless and, you. Oh, God. <laughs> um, I, I, it's, I'm glunt for punishment. But, I mean, his arrogance, his just get with the program. If you don't like it, you just need to get over it and get with the program. I mean, it's like the the arrogance of this man and all in the name of public safety and public health. And it's just, no, I don't have to. You you work for me, Governor Holcomb. You Anytime need to answer. they say it's for health and safety, you know it's a bait and switch. Oh, yeah. You know that if there's something that's going to happen that's not going to be good, it's only a matter of time before, you know, people start to realize it. And I... And, Within a couple of days, there was a trooper, Indiana State trooper, in the southeastern corner of the state, and, and as an add-on to an OWI, and I'm thinking, God bless it, state police, I love you to death, I worked for you for the majority of a decade, but really, you're going to tack on violation of this order? I'm like, come on. And of course, it makes the news, and... I mean, it was probably the least kind of, you know, of what we've seen, you know, just kind of the least aggravated of or uh, he- heinous type of response that we've, you know, seen compared to the, the example we talked about in Texas. But it's just like, come on, guys. I mean, and do we just because somebody is out and, oh, no, we won't be checking it. You know, we're not going <laughs> to ask you where you're going. But yet, even the guidance that we got at my work, have your ID with you in case you do get stopped. And I know police officers. I was one. If the, you get them in a, you know, pissy mood and, you know, do the 80-20, just to be fair. 80% of them are, are good people. But that 20%, you know, if you don't provide the proof or, you know, you get them on the bad day, and now you're going to be on the you know receiving end of a you know fine or jail time of a violation of this order and you know having to explain it in front of a judge like in Texas. I mean, is that really I mean, is that a good criminal justice system? Is it a good no. system at all? But be- also I think that it's it's not fair to ask law enforcement officers to go and enforce these executive orders because they're putting their lives on the line for something that is ridiculous. If someone has, you know, is cutting hair or they have a small business open, you're asking a law enforcement to go potentially contract or why do I keep I keep saying that wrong <laughs> okay. to come into contact with COVID and um potentially get them sick and go get their family sick and spread it around. I don't think that's fair. You know, they already have enough stuff that they're dealing with and potentially putting their lives on the line every single day. Every encounter with someone could be deadly for them. I don't think we should be asking them to put themselves in situations that aren't necessary and that aren't worth potentially their lives. I, and I don't think stopping people 
you know, to see where they're going. Are they really essentially, are they an essential worker? Do they really have to go there? To me, that's ridiculous. And if they pull you over, I mean, we all know how close the cop gets to your car. They're like halfway in the window, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not six feet of distance. They're not wearing masks. You're probably not wearing a mask. And you're handing documents back and forth. It's just, it's not safe. Unless there's actually a really big emergency or something that's imperative, it doesn't make sense. Yep. Oh, man. It's good to get that off my chest because I've been basically having the same conversation with my wife for the last two months. So it's good to get other opinions, uh, another insight. But yeah, it's just, oh man, I'm just in Hogsett course. Well, we're a hot spot. I can tell you that, you know, granted we've had more confirmed cases in Marion County, but at least in the, the health system I work for, we we never got to even anywhere near emergency level like craziness you know almost or over capacity nowhere so to me that says well we did flatten the curve we've done our quote-unquote jobs and now i i saw an article today and i didn't get to verify it but there's even the possibility and i've even had this question myself knowing that there were some others even close to me that had these flu-like symptoms but it wasn't flu that now there's antibodies going back to december so i i do believe even with the anecdotal data that is out there right now that this thing's been around a lot longer than february so oh there's two parts to this all right one i'll go with my fda rant here (laughs) i'll work one in so in january in Seattle, there was a group called the Seattle Flu Study, and they were conducting a normal flu study. It was not COVID, because at the time, we didn't really know a lot about it. We didn't know it was in the U.S., whatever. Um, they caught wind of, okay, these cases overseas, and maybe a case might be in the U.S. So what they wanted to do, they wanted to take the swabs they had in their study of people who had tested negative for the regular flu, but had all these same symptoms, and retest them to see if they would test positive for COVID. And because they were a educational lab and not a manufacturing sort of lab, that's a very watered down way to explain it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if anyone's listening that really knows it, they're going to think I'm an idiot. But um, so because they weren't this other type of lab, they technically under regulations could not do that. So they reached out to the FDA and the CDC, and this, mind you, this is still beginning to mid-January, and they asked them if they could repurpose the study or do these swabs. They were told no and to not do it because, first of all, there was they'd have to get permission from these people, allegedly, and then also because their lab was not this other type of lab. So they actually ended up doing it anyways. Um, they got a couple positive tests or a couple positive samples for COVID, and at that point, because they know they're doing something that... FDA and CDC has said, do not do. (laughs) Um, And there's going to be huge repercussions if it gets out. They know this, but at the same time, they feel more morally obligated to go and share this because this means that there is community spread. It is in the US and it's here a lot faster than we thought. So they go back to the FDA and the CDC and there's an email trail and they tell them what they found. They're told to shut up and shut it down. And so this gets leaked out finally in February. But I mean, people knew about it then, but they were being told to stop doing these tests, to stop digging in. Because it's all for our safety, right? (laughs) Yes. And then, and you know, I have a lot of friends who have also said, and I personally got super sick and I think it was January, February. So a lot of people I know have been like, I think maybe I had it. I will say this also anecdotally. 
I know a lot of people that have gotten antibody tests in the last two weeks, and I don't know a single person across the country that has tested positive for them. So you could take that for being these tests are flawed, or it really isn't, especially in maybe my friend group where they're all spread out as prevalent as people might have thought. Yeah. Well, I, I it's just awful coincidental that there were a number of cases, both, like you said, that I know friends and even some radio personalities here in Indy that were sick for two, three weeks, you know, very severe feverish, and it wasn't the flu and basically went undiagnosed. So it makes me wonder. Yeah. And of course there's all these conspiracy theories <laughs> that go out there. And I mean, of course, any conspiracy theory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs> Like, and I will, I wanted to be all on board with this one, but I just, I'm struggling with this because the latest sort of studies and data I've seen, and obviously our understanding of what COVID is, has changed a lot since, you know, January, but the latest autopsies are showing that it's really a form of a pulmonary th- uh, embolism, thromboembolism. So basically a blood clot in the lungs. Mm-hmm. And now they're looking at this a little bit differently because before it was like kind of like a form of pneumonia, but now it's really actually a blood clot in the lungs. And they present with similar symptoms. If you get a blood clot in your lungs, um, the tissue below that clot will die. So it will look like scarring potentially, or you can get scarring. It makes sense with why people aren't getting better on ventilators and actually getting worse. Makes sense why younger people are dying of strokes with it because they're throwing a clot. Um, So if that's the case, then it does make me wonder, maybe I really did just have the regular flu um, because throwing a clot is a whole nother level than just having the flu. Yep. Well, a friend of mine from high school sent me this video. It was subtitled in English, but it was a Chinese video and it just talking about this, you know, manufactured flu-like thing. And I mean, it was just supposedly recorded, you know, this TV show was recorded a year or so before all of this happened. And it's just, I mean, it was really kind of crazy thinking, but I'm like, man, this is just, (laughs) I just a little bit far-fetched. But it reminds me of like Sylvia Brown, the the dead. Um, she was what do you call those? Uh, psychic. She was a psychic, and she wrote in her book like before she died years ago. She predicted this pandemic in the year twenty twenty that would be bronchial based and all kinds of craziness. <laughs> <laughs> what did Nostradamus have to say about twenty twenty <laughs> or the Mayans? <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, man. It's just it, this whole year has just been so crazy already. It's not even half over yet I either. Know. I'm going to end the episode right there. I want to thank Lindsay for coming on. And this is actually just part one of two of this conversation. After going back and listening to the recording in its entirety, I really felt like there were two distinctly different podcast episodes. This first part where we just talk about COVID-19 and just everything that's happened in the last couple of months 
from a, a political standpoint. And then I've got an entirely separate conversation, an episode that I want to do on our cybersecurity talk. And then I got a little extra bonus material that I'm going to put out there for you guys as well. So anyway, again, thanks to Lindsay for coming on. There is going to be more to this conversation in a later episode. But until then, thank you guys for listening to the Cyber Bites podcast. We'll talk to you next time.